This is such a great season to celebrate the birth of our Savior. The scripture reading comes to us from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 19 to 28. If you would turn there on your phones, it will also be projected overhead. It's my privilege to read this for us. This is God's Word, starting in verse 19. And this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked them, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Okay, this is God's word so far. Thanks be to God. So in church tradition, the four preceding Sundays before Christmas uh, are called Advent. Uh, The four Sundays before Christmas are to be observed and celebrated uh, as a season to prepare for the arrival You just heard Advent means the arrival. I remember as a little kid, I prepared and anticipated Christmas with nothing but happy excitement, like giddiness, of course, because of the presents I expected to see under the tree. And I'd like to tell you this morning, there's nothing wrong with that, happy excitement and anticipation for Christmas to come, but that is not adequate preparation in and of itself. That alone is not adequate preparation in this season. Uh, On Friday, almost to my disbelief, I blurted aloud, I cackled. There was a boxer who had to make weight, and uh, it was reported for his featherweight class. He missed his weight by 11 pounds. (laughs) If you know anything about professional boxing, that is like, you didn't even come close. Like, I don't know if you tried. Uh, He missed his weight class by three classes. And so the boxing promoter was so enraged and disgusted by this, not only was the fight canceled, he kicked him out of the hotel in which he was staying. He was not prepared for his boxing match. He missed it by 11 pounds. John the Baptist declared, make straight the way of the Lord. That means, are you prepared? Have you been preparing? Are there any preparations you should take? And how so? How so? Two things. Two things to prepare for the arrival, the advent of the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Savior of Sinners, Jesus Christ. Two things. First, it's with humility. First is with humility. Uh, John the Baptist is asked all kinds of questions. There are three opening questions. 
And at first to the question, who are you? John the Baptist replies, I am not the Christ. Christ means the anointed king or the promised deliverer, the mighty political warrior who would save all his people free from the tyranny of the Roman Empire. People have been waiting for this for centuries upon centuries. Who are you? The first answer from John the Baptist, I'm not the Christ. Second question. Uh, well, then, are you Elijah? You see, the last words of the Old Testament, Malachi reads that Elijah would come. And here's a man who dressed like Elijah and who preached in the power and the spirit of Elijah. So the question is understandable. Well, then, are you Elijah? To which John the Baptist replies, I am not. Third question, are you the prophet? Are you the prophet? To that question, John simply answers, no. So at first, John the Baptist says, I am not the Christ. Second, then he says, I am not. And then the third and final reply is, no. See, John the Baptist says less and less. John the Baptist doesn't want to talk about himself too much. Because John the Baptist has a lot to talk about someone else. John the Baptist has very little. He does not want to speak too much about himself because he has so much to speak or talk or point about someone else to come. So you see, John the Baptist's purpose in life was to prepare the way for his superior. John the Baptist's entire mission or purpose in life was to prepare the way for his superior. This is why he quotes the prophet Isaiah, make straight the way of the Lord or prepare the way of the Lord. Now, if you flip over to Isaiah chapter 40, it gives you a much fuller picture of why this verse was said. There the imagery is of paving out or mapping out new roadways in the wilderness, out in the jungles, in ancient times. Think about how much work that would take. You've got to clear away all the obstacles. And then the prophet Isaiah goes on to say, you've got to level down these mountains. Now you see, metaphorically speaking, to level down mountains means you've got to take down people who are prideful and resistant and feel like they know it all and they've got things under control and they have answers to the greatest questions that have always been asked. You have to level down mountains to make new roadways. And then you've got to fill in all these potholes. You've got to fill in the valleys. So that these ditches or these dips are not too drastic. When Isaiah prophesied, you got to make straight the way of the Lord or make new pathways or prepare yourself for the coming king. John the Baptist hops on top of that and he literally is preaching and saying this. I now, through my preaching ministry and preparing a way for the Lord, those who are proud and those who are resistant, those who are on high need to be leveled down and those who are downtrodden. Feel so low. Feel like life has not gone their way. I am here to raise you up. Make it a level playing field. So that the arrival of the king can come to all. Now here's one of the marvels. Which I don't think I'm ever going to get over. God ordained and uses human preachers. Ordinary sermons like this. To prepare all people to receive the king. Symbolically, spiritually speaking, how exactly does God prepare the way 
for people to receive and adore and believe and worship the king? Through preachers. Through preaching. That's amazing. I don't know why God would choose that. But evidently God is saying, that's my chosen, most effective, best way I'm going to prepare people's hearts. And as the year comes to a close, of course, you count birthdays, you count anniversaries, and a lot of you are going to be counting what went right and what went wrong in 2019 and make New Year's resolutions. Those are really, really good things to count. But I want to tell you, my friends, this morning, God counts something else. Do you know what he counts? He counts the number of messages you've heard. He counts the number of messengers that were sent your way. He actually counts the number of prophets, pastors, teachers, parents, anyone who was there to be used by God to prepare you to receive Christ as king. God counts those. And he actually counts you, holds you accountable for them. Oh, back to John the Baptist. To a whole second set of questions in verses 27 and 28. John again points away from himself. and He says, why are you guys so concerned about my resume or my credentials? You should be much more concerned about the one I'm speaking of. John the Baptist goes on to say, I'm just a voice. Verse 23. I'm just a voice calling out in the wilderness. And a nameless one at that. Once again, the figure and role of John the Baptist diminishes and it keeps getting smaller and smaller while the figure and role of his superior looms larger. That's why in John chapter 3, verse 30, John the Baptist announces, he must increase. I must decrease. He, Jesus Christ, the one to come, he must increase. I must decrease. So how should you and I prepare during this season of Advent? How should you prepare for the second coming of the King? Just like those were prepared by John the Baptist for the first coming, for the first birth, for the first arrival of Jesus, we are still awaiting for the greatest Christmas ever, ever, which will change the face of time. History will never go back to what it was. How should you prepare? With humility. With humility. Now, humility is something very, very slippery to grasp. Please pay attention to me as I just give you some practical insights from the scriptures. Humility is maybe one of the slipperiest things you'll ever grasp. Because as soon as you want to be humble, posture to be humble, pretend to be humble, sound humble, look humble... And you want other people to notice and recognize? Oh, you're so humble. You're not. You know, in other words, this humility business, this humility thing, as soon as you try to be humble and to get noticed for it, you're not. Humility is, uh, it's not part of your natural personality. Please don't confuse that. Uh, Humility is not a result of cultural pressure and expectations that you're compliant and quiet and just get along with everybody. That's not real humility. Humility is also not a result of abuse. You've really just been mistreated and beaten down all your life. That's why you seem humble. That's not humility. Here's humility. John the Baptist shows it. 
Humility is not about making yourself smaller. It comes from seeing that Jesus is infinitely greater. Humility will never come from yourself. It cannot be self-produced. Humility comes from seeing and beholding and sensing how much bigger, how much better, how much wiser, how much greater Jesus Christ really is. You know, so I'll tell you, you know, the posture of those, of those of us who want to be humble, you like you stoop, you're always trying to hide or make yourself smaller. I'm not quite sure that's how you get humble. No, you should stand up straight, lift up your head, raise your eyes, go ahead. But then, I hope to God, you'll be able to see Jesus by faith. And nothing but humility will come. And some of you took a break, right, to Grand Canyon over Thanksgiving? You look upon that vast expanse. You look upon creation over thousands or millions of years, whatever you might believe. And what do you feel? What do you feel? At once, you should feel very small. Tiny. And if there is no God, you are absolutely insignificant. You might be with family and friends there, but if there is no God, this means nothing. The people right next to you, we're all going to dust. But if you do believe there is a God, at once you feel so small. But at the same time, don't you strangely feel freer and bigger? What I mean by this is this is a clue to life. This is a clue to life. Don't you feel freer from yourself? Don't you just feel kind of less inhibited, less shameful, or less self-conscious when you're in awe of something greater than yourself? And what this means for you, my friends, is that God made you to be in awe and to worship something much greater than yourself. You were never made to just look at yourself all your life. That is a very suffocating thing. And what we learn from John the Baptist is that the only way, the appropriate way, the way that you should begin preparing for the arrival of the King of Kings is with abject humility. You know, as Advent begins, I know we're late. It's four Sundays. We're only going to have three Sundays. How should you prepare for this? The way that John the Baptist did. Seeing yourself in direct relation or in light of the greatness and the majesty of Jesus Christ. Do you understand the meaning of Christmas? Let's just cut to the chase. What is Christmas? What does it mean? According to the scriptures, here's what it should mean. The main purpose and mission of Jesus' life was to take away our sins. The main purpose of Jesus' own life was that he was born to die. He was born to die. By way of analogy, if you're a department manager at your work, think you're doing your job pretty well, you've been there for years and years, and you're faithful, never missed a day. And then one day, you're... Supervising manager comes to you and say, um, you know, the CEO called and he's actually going to fly in today and do your job. You as a department manager thought you were doing a pretty good job, but then you hear the CEO is going to come in and do your job. This is not good, right? This, is, this cannot be good. 
This means you're not doing a good job. This means someone else has to come and do your job. This means you're not able to do your job. You're not going to keep your job. Someone else has to do it. Here's the meaning of Christmas. Here's the meaning of Christmas. God had to come down and save you because you could never save yourself. Jesus Christ was born to die because you're dying. And you're going to do nothing but die. And someone else had to come and do that job so that you might live after death. Oh, that great passage from Psalm chapter 51. It reads for us. We can jump to John, uh, Psalm 51. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me with the willing spirit. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Do you notice joy and gladness, joy and gladness and rejoicing from beginning to end is riddled throughout this passage? But then I want you to also notice joy and gladness is attached to confessing your sin. Joy and gladness somehow comes about with mourning and wailing and humbling yourself over your sins. Joy and gladness, real joy. I mean, the spirit that everyone is looking for at the end of the year during Christmas joy, glad tidings and joy to all. Well, how do you get that joy? According to the scriptures, it's this. Your conscience has got to be clean. Your own mind has got to be able to tell you, you are right with God. Your relationships, insofar as it is possible with you, should be at peace. You ought to humble yourself and reconcile and do everything possible that you're right with other people. Right with God, right with other people. And the scriptures go on to say, do you want to know when burst, bursting joy will come? It'll be overflowing, contagious. When you give yourself to the poor, when you feed those who are hungry, when you see those who are less fortunate, and you go out in mercy and generosity the way that Christ did for you, How should you prepare for the coming king? With humility. And joy and gladness comes. Here's the second thing. Last thing. How should you prepare? By going underwater with Jesus. Well, I'm going to explain that. By going underwater with Jesus. It is a sign and a seal which we will celebrate today. In watery baptism, but I'm talking about in the invisible spiritual reality that you and I, everyone in this room, if you have not gone underwater with Jesus, when he comes back, that will not be a good Christmas for you. There will be only judgment for you awaiting, but if you go underwater with him now, only glory, peace, and joy abounds. Let's read on to John chapter 1, starting at verse 29. The next day, he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Because he was before me, that means he pre-existed me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, 
I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him, on Jesus. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. So John the Baptist prepared the people through his preaching to humble themselves in the light of the superiority of Jesus to come. Second, John the Baptist prepared the people for the arrival of the king by offering watery baptism. By offering baptism by water. What is that? In John the Baptist in Jesus' day, water was never meant to be something refreshing and fun. The word swim pops up in the Bible three times and it never means something recreational. There's no pool parties. People did not enjoy the water. That's not what it meant back in John the Baptist's day. Water, by common knowledge, was an instrument of divine judgment. Water had always been, for those who knew anything about the Old Testament scriptures, this was actually a symbol and a sign that God's wrath was coming down. Two examples. In the Old Testament law, if you're accused of a capital offense, if you are accused of a capital offense, literally in the Old Testament, they would throw you in a lake. Thank God we don't live in the Old Testament. And if you float to the top, that was God's way of signaling, this man or woman is innocent. But after you're thrown in the lake, and you sink to the bottom and die, that was God's way of saying, he or she deserved it. Water was an instrument or tool of divine judgment. One more example. Think of the two most spectacularly devastating things that happened in the Old Testament. The flood in Noah's day and then the parting of the Red Sea. Both by water. Both by water. Here's what John the Baptist was doing when he was baptizing people with water. When you go underwater by immersion or water is sprinkled over your head, you see you're going underwater. First and foremost, that's a sign of God's judgment upon you for your sin. The water above you, you're drowning underneath it, simply means this is what you deserve. But the point is, we hope you come back out alive. After your baptism, we hope you come back out on the other side. Which is to show that God's judgment upon your sin has passed. It is passed over you. You've made it out on the other side. And so by John's preaching, which is the humble people in light of the superiority of Christ, and by his watery baptism, people were literally supposed to prepare themselves by confession, repentance of their sins, that the judgment of God, which they deserve, they would be prepared to believe and trust that God would take care of it somehow. You know, John the Baptist goes on to say, I came to give you baptism by water, but he of higher rank, my superior, comes to bring a much more severe baptismal judgment, and it's going to be with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is usually always likened to fire. So John offered baptism by water. Jesus Christ would come and offer baptism by fire. By fire. Now, here is, again, another marvel at what happens to Jesus at his baptism. He comes to John the Baptist, kneels, 
gets baptized by water, John is just beside himself because he thinks, I am unworthy to even untie your sandals. And Jesus comes through, and on the other side, when he rises, John in our passage says, I saw a dove descend upon him. That was the actual spirit of God. The meaning is unmistakably clear. The dove means a bird of peace, a bird of approval. And then the other gospels tell us, as soon as Jesus rose after his baptism, not only did a dove descend upon his head, we hear a booming voice of affirmation from the heavens say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I will guarantee for you, in the next 10 minutes, you will not hear that at anyone's baptism. You will never hear a booming voice from heaven come out of the skies because you get baptized, someone saying, this is my beloved son or daughter in whom I am well pleased. Do you know why that happened to Jesus? Because he didn't need to be judged of anything. Jesus didn't need to be cleansed of any sin. Jesus was beloved and blameless and perfect of God. So we close with the question. So then why did Jesus Christ get baptized at all? Why did Jesus Christ get baptized at all? He didn't need it. Here's why he got baptized. Jesus Christ came so that he can go underwater with you. And he's going to raise you up on the other side. Jesus Christ came so that he could go through the fire. The holy, perfect fire. The judgment of God. So that that eternal raging fire will be extinguished for you. You know, in Isaiah chapter 43, it reads that maybe perhaps the two greatest fear in ancient times of the people of God were water and fire. Jesus came to take care of both. And when you, by faith, believe and trust that your superior, someone else, who came to be your savior got drowned at the cross because of your sins, that your judgment fell on him, that he got burnt burnt at the cross so that the holy fire will never come and touch you. When you believe and trust that Jesus did that for you, now the pool parties are safe, water is safe, and fire is actually not that bad. Oh, this is why we read in Romans chapter 6, verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. To all those who publicly declare and witness to the whole world, I believe and belong to and love and want to follow Jesus. Because he went through the baptism by fire for me. And now, because of what he did, I want to give my life to him. Do you know what Paul says right here in these verses? Your baptism shows that you have become one with Jesus, so united to Jesus, that whatever happens to Jesus now should happen to you. 
Because Jesus was buried and died for your sins, your sins have been buried and they are put to death. And because Jesus was raised again and God shouts from the mountaintops and from heaven, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. Well, if that's true of Jesus, now that's true of you. Now this is true of you. Hey, when you don't believe in Jesus, you don't know about Jesus, or you're a little kid, Christmas is anticipated maybe with nothing but happy excitement. Let me add something else this morning. Now, I think Advent should begin with the preparation of humility over our sins in the face of someone who's superior and by going underwater with him because he became our savior. To anyone who dares do this, I assure you, my friends, listen, to anyone who dares to come and prepare themselves for the coming and the arrival of the king, humbling yourself and by faith going underwater with him, you will have joy. Real joy. True and bursting joy and peace and goodwill with men to glory of God in the highest. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we thank you for this announcement from John the Baptist. We thank you that somehow you use the word of God and people who are messengers of your word to pave the way, somehow prepare our hearts. Lord, what a glory that is. And I pray that this would be nothing but a blessing and joy for everyone here this morning. Lord, Help us to see ourselves the way you see us. More importantly, by your spirit, would you help us to see the greatness and the beauty and the salvation that is in Jesus Christ? Lord, help us to see that and to want that and to love Jesus for it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.